Wrestling fans, thank you so much for tuning in to Wrestling Changed My Life. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving a rating and a review. The more we get, the more this show is bubbled up to wrestling fans just like you. In seventh grade, I was kind of getting tired of getting bullied around by stronger opponents. That was kind of up until that point. That was kind of my MO was I wasn't necessarily the strongest. So my dad, uh, we created a plan. I was, I built up to it, but I ended up doing a thousand pushups three days a week. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. We have an NCAA legend in the house today, folks. Zane, the Zane Train Rutherford, three-time national champ for Penn State, two-time Heights Trophy winner, only been a few guys to do that and a two-time national team member 2017 and 2019 Zane represented the red white and blue at the world championships and he's on the podcast today to tell the tales really enjoyed the conversation I think you're gonna love it fan of the week goes to my man Charlie Langberg that's Charlie underscore Langberg on the gram representing Loris wrestling go Dewhawks Thanks for the support, my friend. I appreciate it. As always, folks, Wrestling Changed My Life, proudly presented by Spartan Combat. You know, a lot of people ask me, how can we support the show? How can we help what you're doing? Well, supporting our sponsors like Spartan Combat is one way to do that. They're the exclusive merchandise providers for Kyle Dake, Yanni D, Nate Jackson, David Carr. So go to SpartanCombat.com to check out some of the new merch. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for Zane Rutherford. Zane Rutherford, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you. Happy to be here. No, excited to have you on, man. Love having the Penn State guys on. We had Ed Ruth on recently and excited to get into your career. Just to start, though, you know, in a day in the life of Zane Rutherford, what does that look like? Are you are you back to training now? And like, if so, like, what does your daily routine look like these days? Yeah, I've been training consistently. Um, I go in in the morning at about nine o'clock, usually get a workout in and come back home, uh, hang out for a few hours. And then we usually have a second practice in the afternoon. So it's a pretty typical day. I just started uh, school again. So I've been kind of, uh, you know, getting master's classes in and, and fitting that in between practice. So what are you going back to school for? 
I'm getting my MBA online at Penn State. So get to be able to travel with that online program, which is nice, nice for wrestling. Yep. So what do you what do you want to do long term? Are you looking to coach long term or run the family business? I mean, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I I'm not sure what I want to do with my MBA, but I just know I I've been wanting to go back to school for a little while. I definitely would love to get into college coaching someday. I, uh, I see the lives that our coaches have here at Penn State, and it's pretty sweet. They get to wrestle for a living. They get to just, yeah, work out for a living, essentially, take care of their health and yeah. enjoy, enjoy what they do. And so that looks like a fun life for sure. Yeah, that would be – that. Would, I mean, it's a lot of work, but it would be pretty sweet to travel. Like, just think of, like, all the, the summer, uh, summer tournaments those guys get to go to. And obviously, you're going to a lot of them as well competing – and when you look at the coaches you have now, I mean, what a stable of, of just legit professionals as, as good as it gets. When you were a kid though, who were some of your club coaches who had a big impact on you? Yeah, I grew up going to Ken Certo's youth camps and his Ken himself. And then Ian Asell was the uh, guy that I worked closely with. He's, he works at uh, NC state right now with the wrestling program there. Uh, he made a big impact on me and so did my, my high school coach, Russ Hughes, he wrestled at Penn State with his twin brother, John Hughes. And uh, he was a great mentor for me, still is at times. He, he has great feedback on, you know, if I wrestle in a match now, uh, he's really good with freestyle and stuff like that. So, and obviously my parents, you know, they got me, they got me everywhere. I, they took me, you know, five hours to go to Kerry Colotz when he was in Maryland and he had a club there for a little while. And just pretty much everywhere. So five hours, that's how far you guys would go. Yeah, we were not as fortunate, you know, right now, you know, M2 is a, a big club in Pennsylvania right here in state college. I think we would have went to that as much as we could have, but yeah, we would travel there to uh, Maryland for partners after school. So we would drive, drive that, or, you know, sometimes if we had half days for school and it kind of lined up, we would drive down there for a full camp. Dang, that's I, I just love hearing those road warrior stories, but that's pretty extreme because you know, coming from the Midwest, you think Pennsylvania wrestling's everywhere, but you must have been out in a fairly remote part of the state. Yeah, fairly remote. And what was kind of unique about Kerry Colot's camp was we would drive the five or six hours, and there was really good kids there that would get Kerry would throw out of the club. So if they weren't working hard, he would just say, You're done, no refund on practice, go home. So I would make sure that I was not one of those kids because I didn't want to be driving the five or six hours back home with my dad or my mom. <laughs> just like I disappointed them because I got kicked out 15 minutes into practice or anything like that. But it was fun. Colad is, man, what what a gem in the wrestling world. To, just to watch some of those uh, instructional videos he has on YouTube, he's, he knows so much technique and breaks it all down. And that was some of the, the instruction you were getting at a young age. Yeah, it was, we were very fortunate to be able to do that. So the five or six hours was definitely worth it. I never got kicked out. So, <laughs> I mean, from what I uh, read and hear about you, you know, you're, you're, you've grew up on a farm and really worked at a young age, like maybe as young as like first, second grade working with your family. And so it was no nonsense kind of, kind of raising for you. And like when you were in middle school, sometime your dad sat you down and had a talk with you and basically said, you know, you can do one sport. What do you want to do? And that kind of set you on the path you are now. 
Like, what do you remember about that conversation? Yeah, I was playing a few sports growing up. And I remember one of the kids my age was a lot bigger than me. He was one of my good friends. And kind of the deciding factor was peewee football. He broke a quarterback's pelvis, shattered it. And I was just like, I, my dad said, so we need to sit down and maybe, maybe it's not football. You know, you're, you're like 70 pounds right now. <laughs> this kid's 150, but uh, yeah. So I, I picked wrestling. I, I enjoyed that the most. I was not really having a lot of success, maybe a slightly above average success at that point, probably average. Uh, I hadn't been at the state tournament yet in, in uh, Pennsylvania. And so once I started to commit to that, my dad was like, we'll get you anywhere you need to be. You know, there's work on the farm, but if uh, your goal is to get a college scholarship someday out of, out of a sport, we'll get you wherever you need to be. We'll put the work in and, and they did. So I kind of respected that as a young kid. And I, I didn't want to waste my parents' time. I, I saw how much work needed to be done back here. Uh, my dad worked double shifts on the railroad at the time. My mom was working really hard in the fields at, at the, uh, on the farm, you know, picking and crops and stuff like that but yeah I just didn't want to waste their time and that was kind of the motivating factor uh my, my parent my dad never wrestled so there was no expectation to like really do well it was always just no matter what win or lose make sure you're giving your best when you're at practice make sure you're not goofing off because we could be doing other things with our time right now and were you doing extra workouts on the side as well yeah my dad uh, didn't really want me to lift there's a lot of kids my age lifting you know the, or like cutting weight so those are two things I didn't do growing up and so I the extra workouts where my dad put in like a a dips bar like a tricep dips bar mm-hmm. in the backyard I do that a lot and uh in seventh grade I was kind of getting tired of getting bullied around by stronger opponents that was kind of up until that point that was kind of my mo was I wasn't necessarily the strongest so my dad uh, we created a plan. I was, I built up to it, but I ended up doing a thousand pushups three days a week. That was kind of my lift. It would take me like an hour wow. and a half. So that was my, uh, that was my lifting and that, that got me stronger for sure. And you would do it all at once or like some in the morning, some at night? It would be in the evening after school. Um, I would just do sets of 25. And so it, it really, when you break it up, it's not terrible. You know, sets of 25, you, you get different kinds of push-ups. Uh, I would do like 10 sets of 25 and you're already at 250. That, right. would, t- that would take me about maybe 20 minutes. So then I, then I would take a break and do something else, come back, do another 250. And before you know it, you hit an hour and a half in, you're at 1,000. And uh, I think other kids my age were doing, you know, lifting for an hour and a half instead or, or some kind of other training. So sounds like a lot. But when you kind of broke it down, it wasn't terrible. And what about running? Were you big into that, getting the road miles in? My, uh, my parents were both state champions in track and field. So they, uh, they knew how to run. And my dad didn't – they taught me good running form, but it wasn't like – wrestling was the, the goal. I, I would run to, to lose weight later on a little bit just in high school, Mm -hmm. you know, and my, uh, my high school coach was pretty big into running. Uh, so I would run about, I don't know, 10 miles at a time. Sometimes, you know, in the preseason, we 10 miles that, that was like a a single workout in the, in high school for you. 
Yeah, we had a we had a big hill run. It was called Rainbow Hill, and we it was about a seven or eight mile loop. So we do that. Uh, the whole team would do that, and then mm-hmm. sometimes I would on my own just do like a ten mile run. I I just was dying to know like what you know outside of the three to five p.m. high school practice. What was your routine back in the day? Because I I've heard you say that you felt like you were doing maybe more extra stuff in high school than you were at Penn State, even like the extra workouts, the extra runs. Um, so how often were you getting that, that kind of stuff in like those 10 mile runs in? Yeah, I think, uh, I was getting those maybe once or twice a week, you know, um, I think the difference from high school to college is in high school, you're just working hard, or at least I was, Mm -hmm. I was working hard without really maybe a full purpose. I just know that working hard is going to probably get me to where I want to be. And then once you get to college, it's like, everyone's working hard. And yeah. at, the, at the senior level, everybody's working hard. So you need to be a little bit more specific with your time. And uh, yeah, that was the difference maker. But you were just bulldogging it early on, just, just doing as much as you could. And yeah. Yep. So freshman state champ in high school, super rare in Pennsylvania. Your sophomore year, I had heard you say that you wrestled some kid in the semis who was number one in the country. And I could never find it out who it was. Who did you wrestle your sophomore year at the PA state tournament? Um, it was actually my freshman year uh, okay. of, high, of high school, and I wrestled. He was an old – he was older than me. He had won the state tournament the year before, won Fargo the year before. Uh, his name was Nick Roberts. And this is your freshman year when you're still on the come-up. Yes. Uh, I weighed – I remember I weighed about 98 pounds the whole year, wrestling 103. And at the, at the end of the year, you get a couple of pounds, so it was 107. And uh, I – yeah, he was weighing a good – I don't know what he was cutting, but he was way bigger than me. And this was in the semis of the tournament? Yeah, semifinals. And it was a guy who grew up, we were going to the same club, uh, and he, I never beat him. No, it wasn't even close. He would, you know, kind of tear me apart. He's bigger, stronger, more experienced. And so that was the first time that I was really able to ever beat him. So so what weight was it like a barn bear to the end, or how did it go down? I... I was pretty boring, I think, in high school. But uh, the, so the match was, I wouldn't say it was a barn burner, but it was close and a uh, one point match. I, I don't even remember how it went, but I, I remember how I snuck in a takedown and that was kind of the deciding factor. I, I got, I rid him, I think I wrote him out and got an escape and just those simple things that matter. You need to be able to get out. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, those matches, you need to not just hold on, you need to find a takedown at some point. So that was kind of how it went. I mean, that had to be a match that a lot of people didn't see coming because were you like on the national radar at that point? Not really. I did decent at, I took, I think, eighth place at the Super 32 tournament that year. And so that was pretty much the only thing that might have gotten me recognized. I had one loss during the year also, but coming from a small school doesn't really mean too much, just being being only having one loss at the state tournament. So wouldn't say I was on the national stage or anything yet, but uh, yeah, I think it was a surprise. That was a big one. And then why did you end up transferring later on in high school? We were, we were kind of looking to leave. Uh, Lion Mountain was the high school I was at. We ended up, we moved there when I was in kindergarten. So my family wasn't from there or anything. And uh, I was, just not happy with the people there. We never really clicked. 
uh, tried to include them in a lot of my training and stuff like that, you know, over the years and just, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of old tradition ways. They wanted to do it their their high school strictly uh, and not really go to like carry colots or, you know, seek outside wisdom mm-hmm. really, really wasn't my style. You know, there's, there's wisdom everywhere. So um, I, and more than that, just the kids at school weren't really uh, positive with me. So I was, I was looking forward to leaving as soon as we could. Uh, we were, my dad kind of got stuck uh, with the railroad uh, with his job, not being able to move when we wanted to maybe in middle school. So it just so happened that I remember one summer I was at a summer camp and he, he called me up and he said, you want to move? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And uh, <laughs> there was an opening in, in a lock, I think lock Haven, which was decently close to Benton closer than uh, my previous school slightly. And so I was, we jumped on the opportunity to leave. And the crazy thing is that they didn't give you the release. So you couldn't wrestle that year, but you kind of made up your own schedule and went on an absolute terror winning NHSCA's Fargo uh, Fila cadets is what, what I remember it as. And then you end up at the world championships. What, what was that your first trip overseas? Yeah, that was my first really that whole summer was my first real probably experience with uh, freestyle wrestling the summer before I did Fargo, but I didn't have much success. Did you place? So, yeah, I took fifth in cadets. At, at, I wrestled Greco and freestyle and I only placed in freestyle. Okay. Yep. So dabbling a little bit, the next season you can't wrestle folk style. So did you just start going just as much freestyle as you could throughout the year? My dad was pretty creative. He f- figured out ways to, you know, get me to some college practices at, at times, uh, you know, when, when, where that was legal to be. Uh, I remember I went to Virginia tech one, one day f- to wrestle with some of their guys. And we had some, at Benton, we had some alumni that one kid wrestled at Arizona state. He's a 25, 33 pounder. And he had come back and was, I wrestled with him. So I was getting the feel of some college guys throughout the year, a little bit kind of, I couldn't compete, so I had to prioritize training, mm-hmm. and I think it was good for me. It kind of allowed me to step back and get better at wrestling, you know, rather than sometimes you're stuck in that competition mindset. You're just thinking about what's the next one, how do I perform at my best, and it's always the goal, but allowed me to step back. I, I actually played soccer that year. That was the first time since fifth grade that I played a different sport. That kind of allowed me to refocus, recenter, and see that wrestling is just a sport at the end of the day. So that just a lot of uh, allowed me to be more creative with my wrestling. And I think that had a big impact on my performance that summer. Think about not having to do like 50 some crappy dual meet matches a year where you pin the kid anyway. Cause like at that point you're going 50, you know, 52 and oh, you're going a Tuesday night, a Thursday night, a Saturday, and really probably not being pushed at all at that point in your career. And so to have the luxury to take a year off, and just train at a high level like that and get some perspective actually sounds kind of nice when you put it that way. Yeah. It was kind of like a redshirt year, you know, in in college. So I I enjoyed it. And what about the trip? Uh, Where were the worlds at that year? Azerbaijan? Yeah. Azerbaijan. Tell me about that trip, man. Cause there was some studs there. You had Sajalaya, Farshidov, Agoyev. They were all at that tournament. Yeah. I don't even remember any of that, but, uh, 
I, I was just looking in UWW yesterday. I was like, man, those are some studs there. And yeah, it, it was a fun tournament. I, I, it was a cool country too to be at. You know, it was my first time out of the country, and so I was just excited to be there. But uh, yeah, it was definitely a wrestling mecca, and it was right on the Caspian Sea there, so I got to see some of that. We, we stayed at a cool resort. Uh, the wrestling itself, I was kind of just shocked with how I think I wrestled a wrestler from Iran first round. That was I thought was the toughest match I had. You know, the one the guy I wrestled from Russia in the finals was tough, but I remember it was uh the periods were different then, so yeah. it was. I remember I, I believe I lost the first period against the the Iranian first round. And I came to the corner and I was just thinking, I don't know how I'm going to beat this guy. Cause this guy is strong. I wasn't cutting that. I wasn't cutting any weight. Uh, I wrestled 138. I was weighing 138. Uh, so I, I just remember I was definitely out strength and I, I was losing the second period, ended up finding a way to pin him. Actually, it was weird. Last, wow. last 15 seconds of the uh, second period, I pinned him and I was kind of excited to get off the map, but it was cool. So, what what I remember after that match, I believe that wrestler from Iran took third. And before that, I my experiences with Iran were, you know, with America's relationship with with them, which is kind of unstable, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And so I that was kind of my expectation. And then after I beat the Russian in the finals and won the worlds, uh, I come off the mat and the coach from Iran came up to me and kissed me on the cheek and it was like wow okay he says great wrestler great wrestler and that like that's I don't know if he knew much English but I could just tell he was very sincere about it and uh there was a respect there so I I thought that was really cool how wrestling kind of that was my first experience to see how wrestling kind of transcended any you know countries uh political stuff that's awesome I mean I love hearing about especially the Iranian stories because they everything you hear about Iran is that they just love wrestling so much that the political stuff kind of goes away. And man, your finals match against the Russian, I was watching it, forgot about the best of three periods. Cause I was like, I'm like, what? I was kind of trying to figure out what was going on with the score, but first period you lose second period, you get involved in a crazy situation where to me, it looked like you took him down and then he rolled you through. They end up calling it three, three, I think, but that one went down to the wire too, going all three periods. Right. Yeah, so he won the first period. Second period, I hit a double leg, and he rolled me through. So they gave him three and then gave me, I think, two. Um, They were trying to give me nothing, and so we challenged it. I ended up winning the challenge, so I'm still losing with short time left, I remember, in the second period. And if I don't score, match is over, he wins. So I remember going all out. I get a takedown. In the process, I feel my head split open, and uh, I just – as I'm like around the corner to he's in a quad pod, he still hasn't given up the takedown. I just see blood dripping on his back from me, like pouring on his back. And I'm like, I need to finish this now. So I finish it with buzzer beater of the second period to get the takedown. Uh, the, I get off the mat and they tape me up, send me back out. And I just remember being kind of energized after that period. I could feel that he was getting tired and, mm-hmm. And uh, just kind of found a way to stay in the match third period and find a way to win. Just like uh, just grinding it out, man. It was it was a fun match to watch. 
so glad we don't use that period system anymore. But it it uh, it was it was a little bit of a flashback in time to the old rules. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, really, you, you roll through high school the rest of your senior year. Did you always know you were going Penn State, being a PA guy? No. After Fargo of my junior year, that, that year I won, Coach Kale had uh, come and Coach Cody had come to the house in, in Benton, and that was the first time I really met them or had – any interest in going to Penn State I, I guess I had interest in going but they didn't really seem to have interest in me so it's like well I'm going elsewhere and their offer wasn't consistent with other schools at the time and so I I said no I, I remember my dad was pretty excited and awestruck and my mom was actually the one that was like no you know what they're not they're not giving you the offer you want and so I was so did like, you tell them no in that meeting or like later on after the fact I, I told him no in that meeting. I, I looked at my dad and he was like excited. And I looked at my mom and she's looking at me like, you do what you want. So I, I said, no, uh, the, the deal, my parents and I made a deal in uh, junior high that if I received a, a good scholarship to college that I would get a car. So that was kind of the motivating, <laughs> motivating factor for a middle school kid. And so that yeah, Penn State wasn't meeting that expectation that I had, and other schools were. So I was, I said no. And after the Cadet Worlds, Coach Kale came back to the house and gave me the offer that I was looking for. And I still, at the time, had planned for other visits at you know other schools, and I said I wanted to go and explore those options even still. And he said if 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 you if you go there to other schools. And you come back to me and you say, I want to go to Penn State. You know, why would I have to give you what you want? And I said, you make a good point. And I shook his hand, <laughs> shook his hand right there. So it's kind of how that went. Dang. I can't believe it. in the first visit to the house, they were expecting a yes, no then. Or did you just kind of feel like you just want to be up front with them? I just wanted to be up front. You know, if I just want, for one, I wanted to get what I wanted you know, and they, they weren't doing it and they weren't budging. So they, they were one thing that did attract me to them. The main thing that attracted me to Penn state wasn't even the, the winning, um, the success that they've been having. It was coach Kale was the first person that had asked me what my goals were. I remember at that meeting, he said, what, what are your goals? And uh, a lot of other schools were kind of trying to sell me on the amenities of each school and what's the alumni, this or that. And he, he said, what are your goals? And I said that, and he said, well, at Penn state, we can, you know, find a way to help you get there. It's kind of our, our job. And I like that answer. So, but yeah, after that meeting, I was not going to Penn state unless they, they budged. I wasn't budging. Is this after Ashnault committed to Rutgers or is this kind of going on at the same time? This was Ashnault was, so he was also considering Penn state at the same time as me. Mm-hmm. So that was, and they were transparent about it. And so it was like, you know what? I'm going to say at that meeting, I knew that me saying no could result in them picking Ashnold over me. And I was willing to take that risk because I felt, you know what? It's, it's not the right, it's not the right offer right now. And uh, if, if they're the right, if they are right, um, you know, they'll meet me where I want to be. So, and they did. 
And so when, when Kale asked you what your goals were, were those something that you had like clearly defined out or is it something that you just kind of said four-time national champ, Olympic champ? Yeah. So I, yeah, that's kind of what I said. I, I had really considered growing up, I considered going to Ivy league school, getting really putting an emphasis on the education and not really emphasizing the goals post-college with Olympics and stuff. And, uh, when I made that decision that I wanted to pursue Olympics, it was, I need to go to a school like Penn state. And that mm-hmm. was when, that was when I kind of told him and he said, well, we can get you there at Penn state. Absolutely. And so you, you head out. I would be remiss if we didn't spend some time talking about this absolutely epic match at rec hall, December 15th, your second match at rec hall, Logan Stever across the mat, dude, this match, the, the, crowd i'm getting chills talking about it is so into it i just i remember hearing about this match from afar before i even knew who you were like you know when it happened but i mean this has got to be one of the most you know your fondest memories early on in your career what what do you remember about that one yeah uh i remember i remember not knowing if i was starting leading up to that year for sure because i it was a i was a true freshman that year Mm -hmm. and so most of my buddies were redshirting and so uh, when, when it was kind of decided that I was going to start, I was excited. And I remember that whole year, my, my buddies were challenging me, Matt McCutcheon and my roommate at the time, Garrett Hammond, they would, they would challenge me at just like, just daily. Uh, so we would be in the dorms and they would say, I bet Steber isn't taking the elevator. And they would, they would all take the elevator. So I would take the stairs or just like little things like that. And all the time, I bet Steber isn't, eating a cookie at the dining hall. So I'd not <laughs> eat a cookie, uh, just stupid stuff. But I was always thinking about it. I was always like, I'm, I'm excited for this. I know we're wrestling Ohio state. And I remember at the match before the match, a lot of Penn state fans were coming up to me telling me, Hey, this is a big duel. No, this is your first big one. Just try not to give up bonus points. He's a tough opponent. But numerous people were telling me not to get pinned. And so I was just, like, <laughs> I was like, well, all right. They're like, we need to say bonus points, that kind of, that kind of talk. So I'm just smiling and like, okay, whatever. And I remember uh, I got taken down right away. He started getting to work on top a little bit and it was a little scary because he's good there. It's kind of his wheelhouse, but he had the bars locked up early on. Like you were, yeah. that, dude, what a defensive effort on bottom. Cause it, it looked tight. Yeah, it was tight. Uh, I mean, if it was in bounds a little bit more, who knows what could have happened, but I found found it out of bounds. Um, I just remember kind of clawing away first period and then second period he picked, I think he picked bottom mm-hmm. and, and I just, I started getting to work and I, I wasn't as good at uh, turning, I guess, at that point in college, but I knew how to ride it, ride out a period. And so I, threw my legs in and kind of figured out a way to ride them out. And I remember rec hall getting really loud. And so I loved that. And before I knew it, it was tie score, third period. He seemed tired. Clock's winding down. I'm like, I'm going to wait. In overtime, I'm going. In overtime, I'm going. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of what happened. I kind of overshot my first shot, got it on his leg. And uh, I felt – like I, he's flexible. He's very flexible. God, I was going to say, so. I forgot how good he is at scrambling. He's doing yeah. a full splits, head down, pulling the hands up. 
Yeah. It's like, God, the guy's a four timer for a reason. You just forget how good he was at scrambling. Yeah. So I, we'd worked on finishing. I felt confident, found a way to get the takedown rec hall, freaked out. That was a, that was a fun win, but yeah, I just remember the difference of people, even my high school coach was telling me that uh, not, not to not give up bonus points, but he was kind of questioning, like, are you, are you sure you're ready? You know? And I'm like, well, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. Where were you at internally? Were you feeling like you were on the level ready to go head to head with them? Or were you kind of like looking to find out yourself where you were at? I felt ready. I mean, my coaches were telling me I was ready. I felt the best that I had felt. And I knew how good he was, but you always got to believe that you're going to win. I'm not wrestling the name, you know, or anything else. I'm just trying to give my best. And so I felt ready. Felt like. I just felt excited about it. It was a big match. Mm-hmm. I think it was like a whiteout maybe, but it just got loud in there. And I, as the match went on, I got more and more excited. And yeah, it was a fun match. That was a fun one. It's fun to watch your buddies on the bench going ballistic during the right out in the second period. They're jumping around. And that's when everyone started to get serious about it. And like, especially back then, Ohio State and Penn State kind of remind me of Iowa, Oklahoma state of old, like it, those were big time matches and to have it in December, super early in the year too. So you were literally yeah. in your first semester at college. Yeah. Yeah. First semester. Crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so end up a fifth that year. Did you know you were going to redshirt all that next summer or was it a last minute call? It was last minute. I think Nico, I was planning on wrestling that whole year and then it got, to October and I think I think Nico wanted the red shirt that year and that was that kind of went once he started thinking that way coaches I remember coach Kel pulled me aside and he said that we would like you to red shirt and actually like halfway through the season they were considering maybe not having me red shirt kind of December and yeah. I I was just like no I think that I should you know I've been putting in some work and that was kind of kind of how it went so that, and I was looking at the team results that year. So Penn State kind of, you know, bombed it for the next year, punted everyone out for the next year. But besides that, I mean, that's like the only time during your career where Penn State didn't win the team title. Yeah. Yeah. It was the only time I've been on, yeah, three other teams that won that, yeah, the next three years. Pretty crazy. And so once you, you know, once you were on that redshirt year, what were like the, were you focused more so on like a, like a technical gain or was it just getting big for the, for the next season? I would say both. We had been, that red shirt year was pretty, pretty tough. Actually. I, I was kind of wishing I was wrestling at some points, just how hard we were working uh, the, the whole class that was red shirting really. And sometimes those matches, you're like, they give you, they give those guys a little bit more recovery than we were getting. So uh, I felt ready to go. I was excited for the next competition just from like a, I get to relax a little bit once I start competing again. <laughs> well, especially because uh, you had already had a taste of it the previous year. Like you had already been out there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I got bigger that year. So that was, it was good. Moved up a weight class. So who was all waiting in the wings that year as you guys were, you were redshirting? Myself, Nico, uh, Matt McCutcheon. One of my roommates, uh, you think who else? No, Matt was actually wrestling that year. Uh, so, but the, the whole class below me. So Jason Nolf, Bo Nickel, Anthony Kassar, Shakur Rashid, 
all those guys, all those guys were, were redshirting. So I was kind of like, kind of felt like I was back in class. Yeah. And so who, and during that time, once that class had come in, cause your freshman year is a little bit of the, the, the end of the first generation of the Ed Ruth, the David Taylor's, but then once the new new class started coming in, who were some of your daily workout partners? Yeah, Jason Nolf. Really, we wrestled a lot. And uh, our coaches, we were just one weight class apart, so it was pretty easy to, to do that. Wrestled with Jimmy Goldbon a lot also. He was a weight class below me. And then a bunch of other partners. But uh, th- those were probably the main two. Garrett Hammond as well. He was my roommate. He, he transferred to Drexel at some point and uh, finished out his college career there. But had some great partners. I wrestled with Jason a lot and those were fun practices. <laughs> Our coaches somehow remember um, having to pull us away more often than we remember that, but uh, yeah, it was fun. We got each other better. I mean, can you imagine the scraps and would you guys do a lot of like, just like 20 minute goes on your own or was it more like one minute, like whistled type wrestling? Here's, so the thing with that year was we were both redshirting, so there was no – our coaches didn't really have a limit on practice. So if we wanted to keep wrestling live after practice, often we would, and so they kind of just would observe that. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it must have been fun. God, this, to see some of those. And obviously, you know, two-time, two-time hot trophy winner, only a few guys have ever done that. One of the tournaments that sticks out most for me, though, of all the ones you've ever wrestled in is the 2016 Olympic trials. That was, I mean, first of all, for Frank to come out of there, was he training at Penn State at the time? Yes. Yep. And so leading up to it, I'm sure you worked out with him. Were you going with him pretty good? Or was it like a situation where he was kind of big brother in you leading up to that tournament? Um. I remember it was, I was getting closer. He, he initially did big brother me, but, uh, I, I, I remember gradually I'd like, okay, I got a takedown this time. Sweet. I can build on that. And then <laughs> all of a sudden, all of a sudden it's maybe a one score match or either way, you know? So, and I might've been that, I think it was that season. We actually wrestled in a match preseason. We would do like a preseason. We would do two pound descents. So we'd start at like six pound allowance make that weight and then we'd have kind of like a match or two and in front of do, fans or no fans no fans uh i think one year we did fans but uh so i think the last one when we made scratch i wrestled frank and did well and uh i think it was that year I'm trying to remember they kind of blur together but i remember because yeah, what year were you as 2016 a junior or a senior i was junior just 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 turn no, I was a 2016 sophomore. That was sophomore season. I was still a sophomore. Sophomore. Good yeah. Lord. Okay. So I, it was pretty far back. So, yeah. okay. And so you did those wrestles with Frank and then going into it though. I mean, I can't remember now, but the number of NCAA champs in that bracket, not even in, and then you got Pico out there as well. And uh, man, it was just a, a really loaded weight class. Who was in that one? Yeah, my, I guess. Frank, uh, Pico, Jimmy Kennedy, myself, Brett Metcalf. Uh, there was J.O. had uh, to be there. Yep. J.O. Uh, Jason Ness was in there. He ended up beating Metcalf, I believe. Uh, 
Yeah, there was a lot of guys. A lot Steeper? of guys. Yeah, Steeper was in there. Uh, I believe Callum Russell. Crazy. Who? Yeah. And then who? how did you get knocked out of the championship? Because you ended up coming all the way back for third and made the national team. Yeah, I lost to, lost to Steeper, actually. Okay. Uh, and then he lost to – I'm not sure who he lost to. Maybe I think Frank. it was Pico. Pico. Maybe Frank. I know Frank beat – Metcalf, I think. I don't know. Yeah, it's a it was know. a crazy weight class, and uh, I just remember that was a fun one because you see some you know younger guys sneak through and and really yeah. make a name for himself on the senior level, and that was one that jumped out for me. And so you know, kind of outside of the the progression of your career, a, a couple of things you said in past interviews I wanted to ask you about. One of which is after a big tournament, you do kind of a post tournament inventory. I'm curious, when did you start that? And like, what are some of the steps you work through in case there's any you know, young listeners tuning into this, trying to get a better look at how they evaluate performance? Yeah, I, I don't know when I started that. I, I've kind of always took a mental log of it, but maybe four or five years ago, I started writing things down in the journal a little bit. And that, that helps a lot. And I don't, really depends on the match or the scenario, sometimes I don't feel like I need to. Sometimes I feel like I really want to get into something. But I'll look at – I'll start with things that I'm doing well, right? So I want to look at things that I did well because I – usually there's something you can take out of it positive, right, win or lose. So, yeah, I I do that, and then I jump into things I'd like to improve upon. And then I look – then I start looking into uh, strategy. Where was my head at? Um, what what kind of emotions was I feeling before the match? What was I thinking about? Uh, what I eat, kind of stuff, little things like that. Kind of kind of just keep a log of. And then as you get better at it, you stop. It stop things stop becoming uh, inconsistent. So things become a little bit more consistent. So you you eat pretty much the same. I do anyway. I eat pretty much the same meal that has given me a positive result before Mm -hmm. or I, if yeah, things I want to avoid going forward, I, okay. uh, I didn't get good sleep two days before kind of thing, or I said that I I avoid those things, but common sense. And the, the, the part that I thought was interesting is that you try to do an inventory of how you felt mentally going into that too. That's a little less tangible than just watching the film. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes that is a lot of times wrestling's mental, and so yeah, I try to take an inventory of how how I'm feeling, how my is my mind in, in line with my body out there, am I present right now? If am I, yeah, growing up I caught myself uh, looking at the name a little bit more than you know once I got to college that was gone, so yeah. I think those kind of things are very important. Just making sure that you're, you know, why you're out there and you're excited to be there. You're enjoying it. Just being grateful for a chance to be out in the mat. And if you, if you noticed the mind slipping into any like kind of backpedaling thoughts, self-doubt thoughts, do you have any routines or tactics you use to bring you back to the present? Yeah. Um, I don't know if things slip into self-doubt. Sometimes that comes up, but just recognizing that that's a thought. So I, I imagine it's like weeds in a garden. 
right? I think it's naive to say that people don't don't have doubt. It might some people might have more than others, but um, when you do, just realizing that you don't have to zoom in on it. I don't have to make it a big thing. I can just say, "Oh, that's there. That's interesting," and then throw it away. Kind of pluck out that weed. And so that's kind of how I think of it when something pops up like that, that, oh, like for instance, uh, 2016, before the finals, I could not sleep at all that, that whole night, could not sleep. I got maybe, I just kept getting butterflies the whole night because I was so excited to be in the NCAA finals and competing. So I was, the next day I was kind of nervous. I'm like, I got like an hour of sleep and I was trying to, and what if that affects my performance? That was kind of the doubt that creeped in then and and so I just kind of plucked it out I was like you know what does it matter uh we're here this is the moment we're in right now this is the these are the circumstances they're never ideal you know luckily I was healthy but it was the sleep that was the little bit of doubt just pluck it out and just be come back to being grateful to be here and is that something that you vocalize with Kale or, or, or Kale will notice that in you, like on a, on a, the day before, you know, the day of the final, something like that? I think I mentioned to him that in that instance that I didn't get much sleep and he just said, so what, you know, <laughs> one, one night of sleep isn't going to change how you wrestle. And I'm like, you're right. So, and that's like anything, something small. It's very rare that we're 110% when we compete, you know, we usually have, whether we got poked in the eye or didn't get sleep or you're a high school kid and your girlfriend broke up with you or something, you know, it's like things are rarely a hundred percent. And so you still need to go out and win, you know, when things aren't a hundred percent. So yeah, just pluck out those weeds, anything that's maybe could hold you back. Don't zoom in on it. I think a lot of people zoom in on it and get worried and there's no point in that. It's like, this is the hand you're dealt at this period of time. You got to make the most of it. And you think about a year where that was especially true. I got to think 2019 with all the delays that happened that summer, that was an opportunity that was ripe for, you know, thoughts to fester in there. And when you got the job done in that third wrestle off in PA, I've never seen you react that way after a match. I mean, where does that one rank in, in terms of all time emotions throughout that summer, making that world team? Yeah, it was an interesting summer. I had a lot of anger with how the whole situation was handled. I remember, and I was competing with anger in in uh, July of that year. I wrestled not my best. And so... Where was that I, at? That was in Turkey. And I ended up getting injured, actually. Uh, sprained my LCL pretty good. And so uh took a few weeks to kind of relax and regroup and just think, you know, me competing angry is not my best. Doesn't doesn't fix the situation at all and uh so i just kind of let go i let go of the need to control the situation and just focused on enjoying wrestling and i wanted to win a lot of things were uncertain we didn't know when or if there was going to be a wrestle off but i just realized that that was out of my control and being angry at it wasn't going to change whether it happened or not and so that was kind of my focus and when it did happen it was just um, the fact that it was in Wilkes-Barre, which is 45 minutes from my hometown, just good things started to happen like that. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of added to the excitement that I had for it. So I, I, I guess my perspective changed from being angry about it to being excited about it. And then I wrestled a lot better 
And when I finally won that match, there was emotion of just, I think it was just finally solidifying it. There was no more uncertainty. And that was why I was so excited. And was that the fourth or fifth match between you and Yanni in like a six month period? And they were all absolute burners. Yeah, that was fifth. Number five. Jeez, yep. Man, what kind of feel does he bring that you don't see uh, outside of other guys in the U.S.? Yeah, he's got a lot of good technique and he's flexible. So he's uh, hard to predict, I guess you could say. And when you do get it on his leg, a lot of wrestlers, you have to battle is getting to the leg. And once you get to the leg, you just got to explode through him or this or that. But when you get to his leg, that's kind of half the battle. So you need to be able to focus on finishing well and and uh being explosive and so yeah he he has a lot of a lot of tricks in there with you got to be able to finish your shot and also he has offense you know he's technically solid so that's kind of the feel that you get from him that not a lot of wrestlers give you yeah no those are fun matches to watch and you know obviously can't wait for can't wait for the next one you know to see you back out there Two quick questions that we source from the audience and we'll let you go, Zane. Sound good? Sounds great. Which match have you watched the most? Either it's yours or someone else's. But if you had to look at all the matches you've watched on YouTube, which one have you watched the most? I would say Coach Kale's uh, gold medal match. Probably watched that one the most. I think it's a pretty cool moment. Yeah. And yeah, so and that kind of inspired me to want to pursue the Olympic level of wrestling. So that's an epic one. That that whole story of Kale, you know, losing at the US Open and then going three matches with full heart at the trials. I mean, that is that's a fun I mean, that alone is just a story. Let I mean, let alone the four undefeated titles. Right. And then the uh I, I always mention this, but I've yet to get a good story on it. But when he bet the team that if they won, he would come back to make the world team is also just one of the most legendary things I've ever heard. Yeah. I, Are I you think, there for uh, that? No, I missed it by at least a year. Yep. Oh, that would be cool. Favorite book that you've read consistently or given out to people consistently? Man's Search for Meaning. It's by Viktor Frankl. It's a Holocaust survivor and uh, just talks about the psychology that went into surviving those concentration camps. And it's, it's really interesting. It makes you feel, if you're ever feeling sorry for yourself cutting weight or dealing with anything wrestling related, you just read that book and look at the struggles that they were having and how they mentally figured out a way to survive. And Fantastic you, book. Great so book. Good. Yeah, yep. really good. Yeah, I love the uh, thought that the only, thing you could, the only thing you can control is how you react to external events and no one can take that away from you. Yes. Yeah. Your, your attitude basically is the only thing that can't be taken from you at any point. Right. So, yeah. No, it's awesome. And the last thing is I, do you have some camps coming up or any camps you want to promote that I know uh, you're going to be doing here? Yeah, I'm doing one in Miami with the Miami wrestling club, November 13th and 14th. Uh, yeah. That'll be in Miami and two day camp. It'll be a fun one. So if you guys want to check it out, look up uh, Miami wrestling club. Miami, Florida, right? Or Miami, Ohio? Miami, Florida. Miami, yes. Florida. So, so, yeah, if you want to travel to that, uh, Miami will be a warm spot that time of year. So it'll be fun. Zane's heading to South Beach. Get your tickets, yep. folks. There we go.
Dane Rutherford, thank you so much for coming on, my friend. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And that's the end of this episode. To see video clips from this interview, go to Wrestling Changed My Life on Instagram. That's it, and we'll see you next time, folks.